I want to speak tonight about how the Lord lifts up the falling, but I want to first pray as we like to open up the, sh the services and our studies together in this way. Before we begin our Torah study, I always like to pray this traditional prayer. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. So we're going to focus on how the Lord lifts up the falling. But before we focus on that, we want to turn our attention to the continuing saga of Balaam, which we read about this week in the Torah portion. In this week's readings, we're learning that Balaam, that's how we say it down south, or Balaam, the way it would be said in Hebrew, Balaam is held accountable for his plan to bring harm to Israel. He, in fact, was the mastermind, and the Lord held him personally responsible. He was culpable legally before the Lord and morally for the destruction and death that he caused. In our Torah reading today, Numbers 31 tells us that all of the tribes of Israel united together in war, and they were committed to not only defend themselves against the five kings of Midian, but they did more. Numbers 31 verse 8 tells us they killed the kings of Midian, and they also killed Balaam, the son of Baor, with a sword. Now, I don't have time to talk about how God can be a good God, and yet he can lead his people into war, but everybody who has ever had to fight to defend themselves understands there are certain times and everyone who stood firm together during world war ii as the holocaust was taking place and was committed to fighting against all that was organized for the destruction of the jewish people all those people have come to terms with the fact that sometimes it's necessary to even go to war now the women of midian were held accountable. All those who had followed Balaam's advice, this is what Numbers 31 verse 16 says, all those who caused the people of Israel to rebel, breaking faith with the Lord in the Peor incident, so that the plague broke out among the Lord's community. So the women who were party to that, they were also held accountable. But let's look at the fact that Balaam, Balaam himself, is held accountable for Israel breaking faith with the Lord. It cost Balaam his life. And future writers in the scriptures would conclude that Balaam was evil. Now, sometimes people who don't have all the details have difficulty believing that or reaching that conclusion. If you only focus on some of the good things and some of the good blessings that Balaam did, then you'll miss the whole story. It's important to see the conclusion that the new covenant apostles came to. And Peter is very strong in this. Remember that Peter is apostle to the Jews. And so he's writing specifically for the benefit and according to the understanding of Jewish believers, what we would call now Messianic Jews. And so it's relevant for Messianic congregations. This is what he wrote in 2 Peter 2.15. 
Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong, or as one translation says, love the wages of wickedness. So Peter says it really clearly that there's money involved. And in Jude, who in his Hebrew name would be Judah, says like Balaam, they deceive people for money. And he links together Cain, Balaam, and Korah into a threesome of evil. Let me read to you from Jude. Jude, which is just one chapter long, so you can say it's no chapter. It doesn't have numbers on the chapters. Just verse 11 is what we'll focus on. It says, woe to them. They've traveled the path of Cain. They've rushed headlong into the error of Balaam. They have perished in Korach's rebellion. Now, all these teachings about Balaam and Korach and Torah have a purpose. And you may grow tired of reading about Balaam and having attention turned to, to them. But it's important that we take some significant lessons for ourselves. We're not just looking at ancient history. We're not just looking at, at something that maybe happened a long time ago and has no relevance to us. It's actually important for us to take some lessons about how to trust in the Lord and the Lord's power and not, how not to be drawn into rebellion and how we can keep our faith strong even when we are in desperate circumstances. And so we read all of this so that we ourselves would not fall prey. We wouldn't become uh, the victims of the same spiritual forces. I'm going to read to you now from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. And I'll read a little bit and then I'll make some comments. First Peter 5, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. And this tells us that one of the most important things for you and me, for each of us to embrace is humility. Humility under the mighty hand of God. God has a mighty hand and we need to be humble under him. And the second part is we need to be sensitive to God's timing. He has timing, it's called the proper time. And sometimes we can become so anxious that we don't wait for the proper time and what God would have done in an orderly way if we had humility, is frustrated because we take matters into our own hands in the wrong way. Now, verse 7, having cast all your anxiety on him, the Lord, because he cares about you. You and I can cast all of our anxiety on him because, in fact, he does care about us. What's interesting is that we need to cast all of our anxiety. And this tells us a couple of things. One, that we can't keep some of our anxiety and cast a little bit on him. But it also teaches us, and pay attention to this, that we have anxiety. It's normal in the human condition to have cares and worries and anxiety about situations. What do we do? We cast those on the Lord because he cares about him. And, and let me tell you a practical 
aspect of this. It's not a matter of pushing it down. It's not a matter of suppressing it. It's not a matter of trying to be a cheerleader for yourself. Rah, 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 sis, boom, bah. It's none of that. It, if you push it down, you'll discover that anxiety is like a jack-in-the-box. And someone life itself is going to turn your crank and your anxiety is going to pop up just like Jack does. And I want to encourage you, don't just push it down, cast it upon the Lord. How do you do that? It's a matter of praying your anxiety. Speak the truth to the Lord about your anxiety until it's not on you, it's on him. Verse eight, be of sober spirit and be on the alert. And this is really important. Be of sober spirit. So you've got to really um, stabilize yourself. That's important. I, I say that to you and I say that to me because it's true for all of us. And then the other part, be alert, pay attention. So don't, don't just go into this foggy, everything's going to be okay kind of optimism. That is not the right way to deal with such troubles. When we're at risk and when we're vulnerable, it's not a matter of wishful thinking. It's not a matter of just trying to be super spiritual or something like that. No, we need to be sober and we need to pay attention. And here's why. Verse 8 continues, your adversary, the devil, Hasatan, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Hasatan, the adversary, prowls around like a roaring lion, and he's looking for someone to devour. And so what do we do? That's what we need to be mindful of. That's the situation. And verse 9 tells us three things to do. Resist him. That's number one. Resist him. Be strong. Don't give in. Don't give up. Stand firm in your faith. You know what that means? It means keep trusting God. You can do that. And then the third thing, and this I think is really interesting and also um, I found very, very practical. Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers and sisters who are in the world. So what, what does that mean? Let me unpack it for you if I can. What you're going through, what, what we're going through, the suffering we're going through, as we're dealing with some hardships and some challenges and, and, and all that, it's not just our personal experience. Things like this happen all over the world, all throughout the body of Messiah, in Messianic congregations. It's hard, there is suffering, and this in fact is our battle. We will suffer and we want to end up victorious. So don't give up, don't give in, don't, don't just say, why is this happening to us? Because the explanation is more clear when, when you take Peter seriously. This is happening. Difficulties like this happen because we have an adversary who is trying to find those who he can devour. And you don't wanna be those who are eaten up. Don't give up, don't give in, stand firm, and don't lose heart. So now let's ask this question, what could defeat us? And, and I wanna to talk to us, uh, to all of us, uh, 
from a few different perspectives. So we can look at this a few different ways and hopefully at least one of these perspectives might apply to, to you personally. So the first one is, is found in the Haftorah reading today and it helps us understand that religious behavior and activity all by itself is not going to help. If we don't have a life transforming experience of repentance and humility for, before God, then our religious facade is just a masquerade. The Haftor reading today, Jeremiah 2 verses 7 and 8, the Lord says, I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and you defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. Verse 8, pay attention to this. The priest did not ask, where's the Lord? And those who handled the Torah did not know me. They didn't have an intimate personal relationship with me. The shepherds rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and they followed worthless idols. You see, religious behavior, even the priests, even professional religious roles without a humble and repentant, intimate relationship with God, it puts us at risk of turning away from the Lord. It can happen to anyone. And now let's look at this. It's an important perspective. For sure, believers are also at risk. So it's not just people who have religious behavior, but they don't have a genuine personal relationship with God. Those who are believers are at risk. We're particularly at risk. You and I, who trust the Lord, are particularly at risk when we come to a place of emptiness or a place of weakness where we don't have any more strength or any more power. And when we feel we can't go on, the Apostle Paul experienced that exact desperation. And he writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. He says this, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. So three parts, great pressure, that's number one. Number two, pressure that's beyond one's ability to endure. Have you ever felt like that? I have. And it's not just a feeling, it's a reality. I don't have the ability to endure certain things. The pressure is so great. It's beyond me. And the third part is about our emotional and mental health. We despaired of life itself. There is no shame in coming to that place where we have no strength and when we are despairing of life itself. We're, we're not out of options. It's not something to hide. It's, it's not a sin to despair of life. It's part of the human condition. But we just don't want to stay in that condition and we don't have to. We can actually depend on God's strength, maybe in new ways. There's something that, that we pray and we declare every time uh, that we're praying the Amidah prayers. And we say this, so mech noflim, he lifts up the falling. 
And that is so practical. And maybe you've said it too many times. Maybe I've said it too many times and it's just become rote to us. It's, it's just, it, it comes through our mouths and it doesn't even stop in our mind or in our brain or in our heart. And so it may not touch us, but I hope that it will touch us today. When we say so, so mech noflin, about the Lord, we're saying he lifts up the falling. And this is what it means to us that even when you have lost your strength and you are falling and you cannot get yourself up, he can lift you up. The Lord can lift you up and you can tell the Lord the honest truth, Lord, I'm falling, Lord, please lift me up. You can cry, you can take all of your worry all of your anxiety, all of the angst that you're experiencing, all the turmoil, all the physical trouble that's inside that you feel in your heart, that you feel in, in, your, in your inner body. You can take that and it can become fuel for honest, sincere, and desperate prayer. Turn your anxiety into prayer by using it to help you pray. Pray according to your anxiety. That's one of the ways that you cast your anxiety upon the Lord. Psalm 145 verse 14 echoes all this. The Lord upholds all who are falling and he raises up all who are bowed down. Have you been bowed down? I've I've bowed down. I've had to fall on the floor. I've had to fall on my face. I've had to cry out to God. There are times when I have just cried out to the Lord with, with weeping, but not just emotional weeping, with spiritual weeping, my friends. This is what I'm talking to you about. When we allow our hearts to turn to the Lord and we trust the Lord and we cry out to him, it becomes powerful. It's part of our resistance movement, Mishpochad. This is a way that we resist the enemy who's roaring like a lion about to devour. He's looking for someone to devour. It's a way of, of trusting the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm, I'm looking for you and crying out to him in prayer, crying out to him in desperation. And, and maybe it's groanings that are beyond words. Maybe it's, 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 it's just rumblings that come from your mouth and your soul. But if it's directed to the Lord, and if it's connecting to your faith, it can become really powerful. Now here's another perspective I wanna speak of. This is uh, people who are at high risk. Those who are disappointed in the Lord because of the way he's working, that can put you at really high risk. And your disappointment can look different depending on what's going in your heart. And you know the secrets in your heart, maybe. It's important that you deal with those things. And there's a way of being disappointed that actually can, can corrupt and undermine your confidence in God and your trust. And there's another way of being disappointed that works very differently. The disappointment is like the last remnant of hope 
You feel disappointment because you're still hoping. You don't have what you're hoping for and that's why you're disappointed, but you still are looking for it. And you can take that second kind of disappointment and you can use it powerfully. But the other kind of disappointment that undermines you and undermines your faith, it puts you at very high risk. Here's how to recognize it. If, if you're not satisfied with the Lord in the way he's working, if you're looking for power from other sources, if you're taking matter, matters into your own hands, and if you're willing to even trade your faithfulness to God and your patience with God for something else that you think will bring quick results or quicker results or, or like immediate results, those are symptoms of being disappointed in the Lord because you don't like the way he's working. And I want to say to you what you can say to yourself, chazak, that means be strong. Don't give up. Maybe you've seen somebody else get the kind of breakthrough that you've been desperate for and, and, and you're tempted to give up. Why do they get it and you don't? Well, I want to tell you, don't give up. Don't let someone else's victory fuel your disappointment. Let that fuel your faith. Let others and their victories encourage you. Maybe you've held on. This is another symptom. Maybe you have held on, but you feel like you've got no more to hold on with. You're losing your grip and you've been expecting the Lord to work your way. You've been thinking he's gonna work um, and you can hold on, but now you're, you're running out of grip. You can't hold on anymore. What to do? Let me tell you. What to do is just to be honest with the Lord and say, Lord, I can't hold on any longer. Hold on to me. Hold on to me, oh God. And I tell you, when you cannot hold on to him, you can still find that he has the power to hold on to you. Now here's the other secret that may be in your heart and it's a symptom. It's a symptom that you're at high risk. And, and here's, here's the secret you may have. If you've got an escape clause for your faith, let me explain what I mean uh, about an escape clause. If you said to yourself, if God doesn't do a certain thing, I'm out of here. Or if you say, if God does this, I'm out of here. If, if you basically say, I've got a way out if God doesn't do things the way I planned, if that's an escape clause that you have verbalized or thought or your heart has resonated with, I wanna tell you, your motivations are all mixed up. It means you're double-minded. You're not gonna receive what you're hoping for. We need to put off double-mindedness. God has not given us double-mindedness. He has not uh, created double-mindedness in us. The double-minded man or woman will not receive from the Lord. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of power and love and the sound mind and self-control. We've got to we've got to hold on to God.
It's not about saying to the Lord, gimme, 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 and then being upset if he doesn't. It's not about having selfish ambition. Humble ourselves. Don't seek our good. Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Let God in his power keep us in our place. And then be sensitive to his right time. And then the one more word about this. Don't fall for the temptations, being tempted by our own desires. When, when we're trying to get what we want that we know is not from the Lord, run for cover. Run away from your selfish desires. Call it the way it really is. Come out of the darkness. Come out of the dark place that you're in spiritually. Tell the Lord the truth. Don't keep secrets from the Lord. Tell him your honest truth. And with sincerity and with honesty, your truth with God will help you come out of a dark place in a dark hour. He will help the contrite and the humble. That's our confidence. Our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in Yeshua, the one who knew no sin has become the offering for our sin so that we could be restored to God. Yeshua, his very name means God saves us, salvation from God. And we confess our sin and we confess his righteousness. That is the foundation of our faith. If you've been wavering, if you've been on the fence and you've, you've said, I'm not sure about Yeshua, well, today could be the day that you need to be sure. Today's the day to say, Lord, look at me. Look at my sin. I turn away from my own sin and my own trust in myself. And I'm not going to trust in my righteousness. I'm not going to act like I'm so good. Lord, I am not able to save myself. I need your righteousness. I need your sacrifice in Messiah Yeshua to cover my sin and atone for my sin. I'm finished with trying to do it myself. I'm going to depend on you. When you turn to the Lord with that humility and with that honesty, it's a first step of turning to the Lord and coming with a repentant heart into a new kind of relationship with the Lord. Cast your anxieties, cast your sin upon him. That's what it takes. Mishpocha, don't get caught up in the chaos and the rebellion in this world. God wants so much for us. He wants us to move together, to move forward together, and don't allow frustration or offense or anger or difficulty to stop us. You know that Hebrew word that I love so much, kadima. You can say it with me, kadima. It's Hebrew for forward or charge because we need to say that to ourselves and we need to say it together. We can move forward, we move together. That's what Israel did against Midian and they were victorious. Let's move together, let's move forward together and let's, let's multiply blessing all around us. You've heard me recently use this prayer. It may not be familiar to you, but it will become familiar to you. It's a traditional Hebrew prayer and you can pray it with me. Baruch atah Eloheinu melech ha'olam, 
Hatov v'hametiv. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, the good one and the doer of good. And then you can add this other traditional prayer that's one of my favorites. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, in a moment, we'll be closing with Aaron's blessing. But first, would you consider standing with us financially? If this live stream is a blessing to you, if our Messianic Jewish Teachings podcast is a blessing, if the Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue Sanctuary Services or any of our ministries are a blessing to you, would you consider standing with us and blessing our ministry? All the information is found on our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving. Let's close now with Aaron's blessing. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha, Ya'er Adonai p'navelecha v'chunecha, Yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasemlecha, Shalom. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep watch over you and protect you. May the Lord cause his face to shine brightly upon you. And may the Lord show his graciousness and favor to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you shalom in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace.